0: 5 and verse 12 of Romans through the end of the chapter. And then uh, I, will, I will turn from there and pick up a couple of scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let us go, beginning in Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, Paul has said that before. Remember earlier in chapter 3, he said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he has proven that fact. He shows in the Gentile and Jewish world that both Gentile and Jew has sinned against God. Those that didn't have the law and those that did have the law, the whole crowd of them. And he said, God looks down and said, There's none good, no, not one. How many of you in here this morning with any sense of moral consciences can say, Yeah, I have sinned, but I am glad to be saved from my sin? But sin is an experience that I have had in my life. And that's what Paul was saying that sin is a universal phenomenon. He said, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that is to come. Now, that's where I want to deal with here this morning. Christ, or, or Adam rather, who is the figure of him that was to come, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense... Death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. One condemnation, one justification. For as by one man's disobedience... Many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, or it came alongside, it basically joined the race, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Flip over quickly, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul also deals with this same subject and, and a, a little different connection, but this idea of Adam and Christ. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 21. For since by man came death, we read about that in Romans 5, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Albeit that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. You say amen to God's word. You may be seated here today. So staying with that, in that general theme, I want to, I want to take this section of Romans and then include 1 Corinthians 15 and I want to talk about the two Adams. In so doing, I wish to continue through this passage that I gave you, and and I've shared, I did give explanation to a few of the verses. I want to explain them because I I feel that sometimes, I I know I have. I can tell you, I probably read Romans chapter five, I don't know how many times, and quite frankly, when I got done with it, about the only thing I could say was I had read it. Is anybody hearing me? In other words, I couldn't tell you that I understood it. I couldn't tell you I grasp any of the principles that were really there. I got some things out of it. There are things that are there. But quite frankly, it just reads a little difficult. It's a, the, the phrasing, the, the way that he's comparing some things, it reads a little difficult. And then on top of that, we have some theologians that have, in, have in, read into the passage their theology and have made us go to this passage with presuppositions. And basically, we read it and we say, oh, yeah, that's what that's talking about. And then we come out of it, but we still don't really know what it's talking about. We don't want to read into this passage. We want to read out of it. We want to learn it. We want to say, it. So I'm just going to take my time and, and and share a few of these things with you here today. And I, I want you to listen very carefully. And and we're going to look at this business also of the first Adam And then the last Adam, if you will. The first Adam and the last Adam. Christ is not called the second Adam. Second implies the third. First, second, third. He's not the second Adam. He's the last Adam. There will be no other. He specifically calls him in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last Adam. Now here is an interesting connection. All through the Old Testament, and I, I, I give you some opening statements here. All through the uh, Old Testament, we when we get to Christ, we arrive. Go through the Old Testament, and we arrive at Jesus Christ. God took us it took four thousand years to get us there. When man sinned, and God judged him for his sin, and when He judged the woman. He judged her. He condemned her for her action. He condemned Adam, but he gave a promise. He didn't leave them in despair. He says, there will come one from the seed of the woman and it will bruise the head of the woman of the serpent it'll crush the head of the serpent so a war began when sin entered into this world and we're going to be talking about this in the upcoming bible school in more detail and so if you want to hear some more about that you seem to be there but sin entered this world and god didn't sit back and say oh well what will be will be sin became a reality in god's creation God created that man, and that man was innocent. He created that man, and that man was without sin. He knew no guilt. He knew no shame. He knew no rebellion. He knew no separation from God. His life began in union with God. His life began in fellowship with God. Sin entered into the picture and messed it up. But God didn't sit back and say, oh, well, I lost that one. I'll try again later. Or I lost that one, I'll just get rid of Adam and I'll start all over again and see if I can make another one and do it. He could have done that. He could have wiped out Adam and Eve, created a new pair and start over and see how well they do with it. He didn't do that. He promised that woman that somewhere is going to come from your seed and there will be a redeemer. There will be one who will defeat the one who has defeated you. You have been deceived. You have been defeated. Someone came into your world and tempted you and turned you away from me. But there's going to be one that's going to come down the road and he's going to come into the world and he's going to turn men back unto me. Glory to God. I'm all through this, but you know what? It took God, not that he's slow. Not Not that he's incapable or not that he lacks ability. But he took a 4,000 year process to get to the place where he finally sends that redeemer. But here's the thing. When that Redeemer finally comes, one, the world is at a low point, lowest of the lows, and if ever we need him, we need him. Oh, my. So that, in other words, when he comes, the world is going to realize, yes, they do need a Redeemer. Christ didn't come to a world that wasn't needy. He came to a needy world. He didn't come something to force something on us where you and I don't even recognize what it's all about. No, when Christ comes, we cry, yes, yes, Thank you, thank you, thank you. We need you, Jesus. We need redemption. We've had 4,000 years of sin. It'd be good to have some righteousness. And also God is through all this old time. he, He has been developing a portrait so that when Christ comes, we have many ways by which we can identify him. Let's just face it. How are we gonna know? God promised the seed of the woman would come, but how are we gonna know who the seed is? How shall we identify him? It's not gonna be enough for him to come say, I'm here. You know, I'm the seed, I'm the one God promised. Can I see some ID, please? You got some papers? you got something to show who you are. That becomes imperative. I don't know about you, but folks show up on your doorstep and say, I'm this. You know, and technically, honestly, even if policemen show up, we see the uniform. We typically take it for granted. But it's not wrong or improper for us to say, can I see your ID, please? Because anybody can put on a policeman uniform. And probably folks can not even make up an ID, but at least it's one way to check. But the point is this. It's not enough just to make the claim. There have to be ways in which we can identify. And so what, one of the things that God did Is that he put men in the scripture uh, that became examples, that became types of what Jesus is going to be. We know many of them. There's Moses, of course, who became a type of Christ. He was the head, if I can say it this way, of the church in the wilderness under Moses were 70 elders and those elders would rule uh, uh, Israel like in somewhat it was uh, like a republic but at the same time there was a head of that. Moses overruled everybody else. Uh, whatever Moses decided that was law. He was called the lawgiver. Moses' decision was final. You could go to a priest and if you didn't really like the priest and he didn't answer you well you could appeal to Moses. But when Moses decided your case that's it buddy. There's no appeal beyond that. You could not go beyond Moses. You had no one else you could ask, but this guy talks with God face to face. He talks with God in a way that nobody else talks with God. He's seen God upon the mountain. His face has been shining with the glory and the presence of the Lord, and people feared Moses. They saw him as a God. They saw him. I mean, what would you think about guys that can throw down a stick, you know, and it becomes a snake? I mean, what do you think about guys that can hit a rock and a river comes out? What do you think about God? guys who can pray and quail and manna fall from heaven? And, I mean, all these things who just uh, sticks out his rod and a, a pathway opens across a big massive body of water. Yeah. Now at the very least some of you are going to to say hey, don't mess with Moses. Yeah, right. Amen. Speak against him and he strikes you a leper. Yeah. His own sister. I mean he doesn't show prejudice. It doesn't matter if you're his own sister and his own brother. You talk against Moses you're in trouble. Yeah. This guy was the head of the nation. But that transfers to the New Testament because God's going to create a new organization or organism. It's going to be called the church and it's going to be ruled by elders. And those elders are going to be ruled, but there's going to be somebody over the elders. There's going to be somebody over everybody else. it's going to be a head. And that head is going to be none other than Jesus Christ. He's going to be the ruler of the church. You've got to listen to that head. As long as you listen to that head, as long as I listen to that head, you and I are going to be a church that cannot be reckoned with in this world we are going to go forth in the power of god almighty there was joshua who was seen as that great warrior who would lead them. Moses' day comes to an end and Joshua will lead them out of the wilderness into Canaan and be their conqueror. He is a man who will, will, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he leads them to victory after victory after victory after victory. They saw Joshua like they did Moses. And, and, And so that whenever Joshua led them into Canaan, I'm telling you, with that kind of general going in front of you, you can fight, buddy. I mean, here's a guy that tells you to do some strange things. Uh, Here's the guy that tells you to just march around the city for seven days, you know, and just walk around. Don't say anything. Don't speak. Well, this is some weird warfare going on here. Some difficult battle strategies. What is this? Uh, Just walking around this walled city and not saying anything. Uh, It was called psychological warfare. It's messing with the minds of those folks in Jericho. It's messing them up because they're saying, what are they doing? Those folks are crazy marching around. there. What are they doing? Why don't they fight? Why don't they do something and then he just blows a trumpet in the walls sink down into the ground Hey, I can follow a guy like that in the battle I don't know about you but I say hey but he, wherever you're going, I'm going. Wherever you take the battle to, I'll take the battle to. We got a general. We got a Joshua. He led us in to the land of victory. He's led me to victory after victory. I've faced the enemy on many a battlefront. Sometimes he asks me to do strange things. He told me to stand still and see the salvation. Sometimes he just tells you to walk and don't say anything. But there'll come a day you'll lift your voice and blow the trumpet, and the power of God will fall and. The The glory of God will come. He is my Joshua. He is my Savior. There will be an Isaac who willingly, he will not, he's a young man, his father, he will say, Father, we got the wood. We got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? God will provide a lamb. And then when he gets here, he doesn't have to wrestle his son. He just, they get there, they got the altar, and he reaches over. And pulls out maybe the twine, the leather thongs. I don't know what it is. And he begins to tie Isaac's hands. And he begins to bind Isaac's feet. Isaac doesn't wrestle with him. He doesn't say, Daddy, what are you doing? He doesn't say, Father Abraham, have you lost your mind? He lays down. He says not a word. He lays up on there. Abraham has put the wood upon the altar, and he's going to lay his son now upon there, or get ready to. He's going to take his life. He's got to kill him before he puts him on there. You don't put the sacrifice upon the altar. The wood is there. The fire is burning. It is ready for a sacrifice. He takes his son now. He has bound Isaac and he is getting ready to cut his throat like he has done time and again with lamb after lamb. He has taken lamb after lamb and slipped the throat of the lamb and the blood poured out and then he would lay the lamb upon the fire that was burning upon the altar. He's getting ready to do his son. There's no screaming. There's no crying. There's no hollering out. What are you doing? This is crazy. You've lost your mind. No, sir. He takes that son, holds him next to him, his hands. His feet have been bound and he raises the knife to bring it across the Throat of Isaac. Isaac says, Nothing. All of a sudden, the angel of the Lord intervenes and says, Abraham, you haven't withheld your son. The fire's still on the altar. You know the story. He finds a ram in the thicket and it puts him on the oh, but I will tell you: a couple of thousand years later, the Son of God of Father God will come to earth. He will make no rejection, he will not reject the Lord, he will not reject the Father's will, he won't wrestle with God. He won't turn against him. He won't argue. He'll just lay his life down and say, here I am. But this time the angels don't intervene. The throat is slit, and figuratively speaking, he dies upon the cross and offers himself a sacrifice to God. But before we saw Jesus, we saw an Isaac. Before we saw Jesus, we saw a Moses. Before we saw Jesus, we saw a Joshua. And now Paul brings into us another type and says that Adam was a type. Who knew? Who knew that this man that had actually sinned held in him certain things that would speak about the the Christ when he comes? Certain things so that when Christ comes, he is called. And look at it, the language for a moment in First Corinthians chapter 15, because there it mentioned it in Romans chapter 5. He's the figure of him that is to come. And there's comparison and contrast that goes on in chapter 5 of Romans, which I'll get to in just a moment. But notice this First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. We'll talk about what that means later. But I'd want you to see there's this first man, he is called Adam. And then there's the last Adam, verse 47. The first man, which he just referred to in verse 45, is of the earth. That's what he was made from. That was his nature. That's where he came from. Not only that, he seemed to be tied to it. He went back to it, didn't he? But the next one, the Bible said, is the Lord. The second man is the Lord. Woo! Is the Lord from heaven. Didn't talk about him coming from earth because Jesus didn't come from earth. Adam came from the dirt. Jesus, when he became man, uh, that human body in that sense uh, can trace its lineage back to Adam that came from the dust. Uh, But can I tell you, Jesus preexisted the body that he took on uh, and the man he became. Uh, Adam did not preexist. He was created and he came into existence, but Christ, uh, he came. uh, He came from heaven. He preexisted man as God he was there he came as spirit as the Lord from heaven hallelujah Adam didn't come as Lord Jesus came as Lord and earned the right as a man to rule over the human race so there's this last Adam and we see this coming this typology that's going on in comparing them so that Jesus being compared as an Adam Adam being the first man, Jesus now is connected to that Adam and compared to him here. But but more so, he's contrasted to him, and yet there's comparison. Adam held for us a beginning. Jesus holds for us a beginning. And if I could say it this way, a new beginning. (laughs) Because we didn't do too well with the first beginning messed it up. He gave us another beginning. We followed the first Adam and failed. He sent us another Adam. By him, we can succeed. Glory. Hallelujah. Ha, hallelujah. The first Adam was a disappointment. The last Adam was a great wonder and blessing. Oh, yes. The first Adam was a failure. The last Adam was a success, so much so there needs be none that follow him. Who could follow Jesus? Who could add to what he's done? Who could perfect what he has already perfected? Who could come and do anything more than what Jesus has already done? We need no other. Man, right. In this man, this last Adam, we have everything that we need. Yeah. Now, let us just say, I do not know on a physical level Obviously, Adam come from the dust and through the, through the, uh, the lineage of man, Jesus' human body as well is going to have that same, same um, makeup, if you will. But it will never see corruption as Adam's body did. Adam's body came to lay in a grave. His body came to the worms will eat it and will take it away. Christ's body will never experience corruption because he never sins. Now he'll know pain. He will know the effect of sin. Sin will touch his body, if I can say that, not by experience, but by the sins of others are coming against it. He'll feel the lash. He'll feel the crowns of thorns. He will feel the persecution. He will feel... The the hatred and the enmity. He'll feel the beating that will be given to him, the nails that will pierce him. He will know what pain is. And all of that is caused by sin, not personal sin, but by sin that is in the world. And so that you and I, we have the same thing. Sin brings to us pain, it hurts us, it destroys us. And it took Christ and nailed him to a cross, and he felt the pain and the agony and the grief of sin, though he himself did not sin, and therefore his body could not see any deterioration or corruption. No maggot will ever lay hold of it. No. No worm will ever eat it. Three days in the tomb... But the maggots are hands-off or mouths-off, if I can say that. You will not get to it. This body is going to be held here for three days in state, if you will, until the soul and spirit are resurrected and brought and are brought back in union with that body. And this body will be resurrected and, and, now, and go to be at the right hand of God. And he's going to be resurrected because it never knew sin. He never personally oh, did anything right. wrong against the Father. This isn't a rebel that died. It's an obedient son that died. <laughs> This isn't a criminal that died. This is the cream of the crop. Oh, hallelujah. This isn't a bad citizen. This is the best citizen the world ever knew. Not a wicked man. This is a good man that died. The best. The perfect. Now stay with me. I do not know. Some want to suggest, and it's not true. It simply is not true. Because it's not biblical. Well, Jesus didn't have an earthly father because... If he had an earthly father, then he would have he would inherit that sin nature from Adam, and that sin nature would make him a sinner. And because he didn't have an earthly father, he couldn't be a sinner. Well, why don't you just go a little further with the Catholics and make Mary sinless too, in that regard, because she has an immaculate conception, and and by that, or she is conceived without sin, and therefore, you know, why don't you just do that too? That's what the Catholics do with it. That's ridiculous. The reason he doesn't have an earthly father is because he had an earthly father, he would only be fully man. He gets his humanity from Mary, but he comes as divine. He pre-exists. You can't have one pre-exist be born in the normal way of procreation. It just isn't going to work, folks. And if he is, you're not going to convince Joseph that he is Joseph's, or that he is the son of God if he, Joseph, knows I conceived him, that he's the result of a relationship with me and Mary, like any other human being that comes into this world who doesn't pre-exist themselves. They come into this world through the union of a man and the union of the woman. But Mary and Jesus will not come into to this world through the union of a man and woman. He will come through this world through the union of the Holy Ghost and Mary. The Holy Ghost will come over her like a cloud in a secret moment. Nobody will see it. Nobody will know about it and birth in that womb the seed that will be the Son of God. Why must it happen? Not because of something to prevent sin but because he is unique. He is the God man. He's fully God and fully man. And he's got to have a way to show the connection to both. And that is done through a virgin birth. A woman becoming pregnant whose reputation could stand the test to know that Joseph could so trust and know and with the confirmation of the angel there's no, this is real. My wife did not sleep with another man. This is of the Holy Ghost. And this is the Son of God. Sometimes we look at the knowledge that Jesus had and we think maybe he had a special ability over us that as a man he was ahead of us and he could do it because he had things in his body that you and I don't have or he developed faster than we develop. Well, I can't speak to that. Maybe, maybe morally he did develop quicker than we normally do because normally it depends. Some children do it very early in life. Six or seven, they can be well aware that they have moral responsibility. Some, it's 12 or 13. Depends on what's happened in the home. Depends on a lot of factors that go into that. Maybe Jesus, you see, we do tend to develop physically quicker than we develop morally. Everybody understand that? You grow and you develop physically understanding, feeling things, and you do that fairly quickly. Matter of fact, when you come into this life, you can feel everything. The moment you're in this world, if I pick you with a needle, you're going to feel it, all right? But if I talk to you about the principle of lying, you ain't going to even understand it. All right? It's a problem when we preach to three-year-olds and four-year-olds and expect them to hear our sermons. Quit preaching to them. You can tell them things, give them instruction, but they don't understand moral reasoning. That's why we correct them with the rod, not with a sermon. Yeah, that's right. Come on. All right? I should be able to correct a 16-year-old with a sermon, but I correct a 2-year-old with the rod because he don't understand the sermon. He doesn't get the sermon. And we sit down and want to give them a 45-minute lecture over what they did when they're 4 years old. Come on, don't do that. Just grab the rod, get it done with, and move on with life. Because that's the nature. Maybe Christ did develop faster, but then I think of situations we've had in this world of what we call child prodigies. I mentioned it in my class this morning. A Wolfgang Mozart. Seven years old, he's already playing classical piano, mesmerizing crowds. I mean, he, he, he can do a concert. He, he walks, he's going to play at the Vatican. And he goes to play, uh, uh, when he's scheduled to play at the Vatican, he goes to hear this song that has been, uh, 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 I think it was written by a priest. But it's very well known to uh, uh, the monks and to the priests. And they they, they didn't publish it. It was kind of sacred and special. So it wasn't written for the general public to follow. And he he goes and hears them sing it at a concert. I I don't know, it's 12 to 15 minutes long, something like that. He goes home. He's he's only, I want to say between 7 and 9, somewhere around there, I think. He goes home. And writes it down the notes on paper from memory. Boy. Several stanzas, several voices in this. He goes back and hears it again before he goes. There was a few little things he had to correct and modify, all from memory. And then he goes and plays it in the Vatican, from memory, from what he has placed down simply from his mind. There have been child prodigies, Blaine Pascal, Picasso, whose father was a painter. And at 9 years old and 14, he's already outstripped his father. At 15, he's already painting, showing publicly. His mother looked at him and said, if you become a soldier, you will be a general. She said, if you become a monk, you'll be the pope. He said, but instead... I just chose to be a man became Picasso. <laughs> but the point was, is that at eight and nine years old, he was doing things that blew, that people that are adults could not even begin to accomplish. Twenty-some thousand paintings will come from that man in his lifespan. And I can promise you, if you had one of them today, you could retire. Okay? But if you had one of my paintings, you'd laugh. And you would find a way to sneak it into the garbage can before you ever even mentioned it or thought about it. You wouldn't even have to think about it because I don't know how to paint. I can't do that. It's not my calling. But there have been child prodigies that at 11 and 12 years old have absolutely astounded us with their knowledge. So I don't think we can claim that for Jesus Christ or or that that would be anything that would be unique to humanity. Yes, at 12 years old, he knows who he is. Yes, at 12 years old, he is astounding doctors and lawyers. But other 12-year-olds have done that. It's not something that's absolutely unheard of. I'm not diminishing Christ. I'm just telling you, he became a man. Do you understand that? He became another Adam. He became one that was here in this earth. Matter of fact, he gets little disadvantages. Adam started life as a full-grown man. Adam started life as a mature man. Jesus began life as an infant or conceived in a womb. He goes through every stage so that every person on the planet can say, Jesus has been where I've been. If you're one, he's been where you've been. If you're 13, he's been where you've been. Now, maybe when you get 63, would he continues, glory to God. Hallelujah. I don't know of the age. I guess the age of Jesus Christ in reference to his humanity. He's over 2,000 years old right now. Oh, yes. He's over 2,000 years old, so I reckon that'll cover us, won't it? Glory to God. But it would be covered anyway because he's eternal. He's been there from the beginning. But I'm telling you, we can relate to this. He is a man who's come. Now watch, take your Bible. And let's see if we can draw out of these verses some things that are in comparison because this becomes a a point that Paul wants to drive home to us. His point in this passage is not to drive home to us of something we inherited from Adam that's not mentioned in the passage. Nothing is mentioned here by way of inheritance or some sinful nature. It is not in the passage, and you have to stretch to put it there. Let's take it for the simplicity in which it reads. We've already talked about verse 12, but I'm going to start there. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, Paul wants to establish something. And death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. He established this as the very simple simple understanding of that passage. That it is through one man. How did sin get here? Why? Look around and say, why do we have all this mess? Why is evil? Why is this taking place? How did sin get in humanity? Because it didn't start that way. God made a man and God made a woman and there was no sin. Then how did we get this sin? Where did it all start? And that's what I shared with you two weeks ago. And Paul's saying it started with Adam. He failed. It was by that one man that sin came to the human race. And when sin came to the human race, he said, and that one man, and as a result of that, sin coming into the world, it brought death. Death came by sin. But isn't that what God said, the soul? He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That's what God said. If you sin, if you disobey me, you will die. So sin entered and death came as a result of sin. Death is the fruit of sin. Sin is the root. Death is the fruit. Got it? That's all he says. Then he says that death, not sin, passed on all men. Death passed on all men. And that word passed doesn't mean something that is, is communicated to them through some, some inherited uh, system or some, uh, through the system of procreation. No. It, it, in other words, he says that this. Death became every man's experience. Every man walked that road. The word passed upon means traverse. It means to, like a passerby, that this became their experience. Death became the experience, and we saw that there were even two exceptions to that: Enoch and Elijah. But death became the experience of man. Well, why did death become the experience? Because everyone sinned. Adam set a bad example. Sin came into the world, and it became, it brought death, and then men died, and sin became abundant. In other words, sin and death, as through one man, sin and death became a universal phenomenon. A universal phenomenon. Now watch. And he mentions this because if you're Jews and you're reading this, oh, well, how can there be sin if there's no law? Until the law, sin was in the world, for sin is not imputed where there's no law. Paul said actual sin was there. Just because the law hadn't been written to forbid it doesn't mean it didn't exist. No, it just wasn't imputed to them. It wasn't put on their account, even though they committed. The sin and I gave some examples of that last week. Now, verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned. And we're going to come back to these phrases. You're going to find in this passage, he talks about death reigning. He talks about sin reigning. He talks about us reigning, and he talks about grace reigning four things now that's in a future message I'm going to deal with that reigning that's the part that deals with where we sit with Christ but we're going to put that on hold and we're going to just explain the verses and talk about again these two Adams he says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now he takes us from Adam to Moses. Why Moses? Because Moses is when the law come. That's what he's just mentioned. For until the law, sin was in the world. What's well, Moses? That's when the law comes in the world. Moses was the lawgiver, and the law arrived with Moses. There was no written law until Moses. But Paul said, even before Moses, sin was there. People were still living wicked. They were still worshiping idols. All right, they were still following their idols. Nimrod was a wicked man, fallen idolatry, rebelled against God, built a tower in God's face uh, and, and, and led a people to rebellion, so God has to scatter them. There was no law against building a tower, but they knew they shouldn't build it uh, against God. But there wasn't laws against that. But there's a there is the, there is that rule of God that comes. There was no written law of not making an image of God, being made images of what they thought God was like, but there was no law against making an image. They had nothing written down about making it an image of God. But it's still wrong, okay? It was still a wrong thing to do, and they made that image, uh, and, and they should have known better, even though the law uh, had not been written down. Uh, sin was there, but it wasn't put to their account because there was no law written against it. Now, we're not talking about the law of conscience. We're talking about those things are there, and though not written, men are still held accountable for them. But there were certain things not put to their account. But now he says this, death reigned. It was a universal thing. It conquered every man that came into the world. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. And here he admits that there were, that, that men, they didn't sin in the same way that Adam did. Adam committed one sin. He ate the tree. He no doubt sinned after that as well. But he committed that one tree. That got him, or one sin of eating the tree or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil got him kicked out of the garden. But please understand this, that in so doing that, that Paul said that brought death, but men began to sin in other ways. They didn't sin that to the same way that Adam did. They didn't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They did something else. Lamech, he took two wives. That's what he did. He hurt a man. Cain, he murdered a man. Adam didn't get kicked out for murder, but his son got marked for murder. He committed murder. So men sinned in different ways. Sin took on many forms. It took on many, many different expressions. And he said as a result of that, because sin was reigning in men's lives. Death was reigning in men's lives. Everywhere men were sinning. Everywhere death was the universal experience. And But he makes a statement that this Adam became a figure. Why is he all of a sudden going back to talk about Adam? Not to say something about, again I emphasize this because it's the popular interpretation, not to teach us something about a sin nature. Jews did not believe that. Paul is a Jew. He had no concept of that. That's something that will come a few hundred years after Paul from Augustine. Wasn't known, wasn't believed in in that way. That wasn't the point. Why is he doing this? You've just talked about in chapter one. He talked about sin in the Roman world and the and the Gentile world. In chapter two, he talks about sin among the Jews. In chapter three, he talks and he expounds on that, puts it together that everybody has sinned and, and talks about again. Sin is a universal phenomenon. All men have sinned. Is anybody in there conscious of the fact that you've sinned? Yes, I can say with Romans three twenty three, I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I understand that. And then he says, well, then how are we going to be justified? Can we be justified by the law? No, you can't be justified by the law. You've already violated the law. If you sin, you transgress the law. Once you transgress it, you can't never be made right by the law. The only way you can be made right by the law is to never go against it. Once you go against it, you're in trouble. And Paul said, I don't care if you're a Jew or Gentile. Every one of us get our righteousness and our justification by faith in Jesus Christ. And he shows how that principle was even taught in the Old Testament. Here's Abraham. He's no doubt that he's he's sinned. But you know what? Somewhere in his life, God comes down and talks to this man and says, Abraham, I'm going to raise up. Uh, your seed's going to be like the sand of the sea. I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to multiply your seed. And you know what the Bible says? Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. What did he do? He just took God at his word. He is just a pilgrim. He's just a traveler living in tents. Uh, got him a few hundred servants uh, and walking around. He's not the leader of a nation. He's not the head of a kingdom. He ain't nothing but a pilgrim. He's a nomad. He's just traveling around in land he doesn't even own. But God said, "Well, you set their foot? I'm going to give it to you. He can't see it. He can see it by faith. It's something that's a promise. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have a piece of paper that gives it to him. He's got a word from God. That's all. He's got a promise from God. And he said that's enough. I'll live on that. I'll take that promise. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how you're going to bring a a seed from this man who can't even produce anything. I've been with my wife Sarah for years and we can't produce anything. I don't know how God's going to do that, but I'm going to take him at his word. I don't know how he takes red blood and washes a black heart and makes it white as snow. But if he says it, I'll take him at his word that God can redeem me from my iniquity. Glory to the Lamb of God. Paul says, by faith we've done this. We're justified. And it's all because of faith. It comes to chapter 5 when he says, being justified by faith. He tells us what flows out of that. And then, as he's described all this wonder of God's salvation and justification coming to us by faith, he now wants to drive home another point. He wants to bring something to us. How is this possible? Think with me for a moment. If I can say it this way. How in the world can God save the world by a single act of a single man? 2,000 years have gone by and the fountain hasn't dried up if you will still come today whosoever will let him come drink the water of life <laughs> confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus believe on your heart hallelujah and you shall be saved right now today that if any man will hear his voice woo, glory to God if we'll hear him he'll give us the power to become the sons of God oh flowed from a single act of one man. That's a pretty big claim. Say what you want to, buddy. But that is really seem to be stretching it, Paul. You're going to take care of the multiplied millions of sins and millions of sinners by the single act of one man? You got anything you could share with us, Paul, about where God foreshadowed this? Yeah, I do. (laughs) I'll take you back to the beginning where God condemned the entire world through the single act of one man. He ate the tree one act. He took the bite of a piece of fruit. One deed. And at that time... He and his wife are all there is in the world. And the entire world was kicked out of the garden and separated from the tree of life through the single act of one man. And after that, God didn't say, when Cain was born into the world and when Abel came along, he didn't look down and say, okay, To the sword, cherub with the flaming sword, he didn't go over there and say, "Step aside now, Cain gets his chance." Mm -mm. Step aside and let Abel has his chance. Adam fell, but maybe Cain can do it. Adam fell, but maybe Abel can do it. Adam fell, but maybe Seth can do it. Maybe any can do it. We'll give these guys a shot and we'll just let everybody have their shot, if you will, and put them in the garden. And then you know what God would have done? He'd be kicking them out. Yeah, because yeah, they'd have failed too. Oh, well, Not because they had something in them, but because we proved it through life that we would have failed. How many of us without any coercion from others around that old tempter, he's selling his lie. He brings just the same lie. You won't surely die. This won't hurt you won't get trapped you won't become addicted it won't be too bad your wife won't mind it won't hurt your child you won't lose your job It's not. you're not going to get be a daddy like everybody else you're not going to get in a hospital like. you'll be able to overcome that the promise and the lie is the same we sin, we die the same and we prove and if God had put us back in the garden we'd have done the same thing that Adam did But when he kicked Adam out, he did it for a reason. Because in the same way he condemned the world, he's going to save it. One act, one man brings condemnation. One act, one man brings salvation. Woo! Glory to the Lamb of God. And it's not crazy. It's not crazy. So now watch this as he goes through this. So hang with me. I'll try not to be too long. Verse 15. There is similarity or comparison, and then there is contrast. In the comparison, I've really already given you. Adam, one act, one man. Christ, one act, one man. All right? Adam, one man, condemnation. Christ, one man, redemption. That's the comparison. We're going to look more now. Paul deals with contrast. Verse 15, but not as the offense, that indicates contrast. And let me not say offense. It's more correct to say offense. The not as the offense, this word offense means a deviation, slipping, sidestepping, getting off track, getting out of course. Offense is what you have on the ball field. You have defense and offense, all right? You have the quarterback throws the ball. That's offense, all right? Defense is the guy who tries to tackle the guy that's got the ball, anyway. That's offense. Offense is a failure, a transgression, a deviation, a fault, a sidestep. So he says it's it's not as this offense, the free gift so is the free gift, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Hmm, what does he mean by that? Well, let's understand what is free gift. This is the Greek word charisma. It comes from the word grace. It's literally a grace gift, an unmerited gift. Here it is, woo, glory to God. The offense, hmm, that comes, and we didn't necessarily merit that either. We didn't merit that condemnation because we didn't sin with Adam. No more than I can say I saved the world with Christ. I didn't sin with Adam. I was condemned, though, under Adam. I came into a condemned world. I was born into a world under judgment. Right? But my sins are my personal sins and my personal responsibility that only show that I followed Adam's example and lead. Understand that. But I want you to understand this, that what a great thing when he contrasts them, he talks about the offense and then the grace gift. Glory. Well, i tell you about that offense, buddy. Yeah, it got us kicked out, but I wouldn't exactly call that a gift. When I think of something that's a gift, I think something that's good. I think something that's helpful. I think it's something that's beneficial. Getting kicked out of the garden wasn't a gift. That was a tragedy. But getting salvation, that's a gift. (laughs) Hallelujah. Getting that eternal life, that's a gift. And I didn't merit that. I didn't necessarily merit what Adam did. No, sir. But I will tell you this. I merited destruction because I had personal sin. But there's a gift that came. Oh, something came from Adam that brought death. But something came from Christ that brought life. I'm telling you, they are not alike, though they come from one man. This gift of grace... Now go on, he says, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace. Now this word gift is a different word than gift up above. This is just the idea of a word of gift. But the free gift, that's one word. That, That means something coming through grace. And he says the same way here, but he just separates it and says, by much more the grace of God, that is this grace that brings this gift. Grace itself becomes a gift, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. He talks about here a contrast of character a contrast of nature if you will so that what's the nature of these two gifts they are similar in that they both are come to the many but I will tell you that the first is that which comes as the result of an offense and that offense the result of the offense was death the result of Adam getting off course is that it brought death in the world and death became a universal phenomena but this gift that comes from Christ, it is an act of grace. It is something we do not deserve. He looks upon a broken humanity. He looks upon a corrupting human race, and it doesn't deserve it. It's not worthy of rescue. It deserves the judgment. They'll be kicked out of the garden, and they're worthy to stay out of the garden. Oh my! But thank God, there is someone. This one man is going to do something of a different nature. His nature is going to put you out. It's going to bring you in it isn't going to kick you out it's going to save you and bring you back in the nature of the two are entirely different one brings death the other brings favor grace compassion one is the hand of judgment The other is the arm of compassion. They're not like each other. The nature is different. Glory to God. He goes a little further in verse 16. And he talks here about a difference of capacity. Now watch this. First, they're different in character. One is an offense. One is a gift. They're opposite nature, if you will. Verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Now let's watch what that says. Again, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the free gift. He's telling us again that there is this similarity because Adam is the figure and he's emphasizing this is what happened by the first Adam. This is what happened by the one that sinned and this is what happened by the one that lived right. This is what happened by the one act of sin. This is what happened by the one act of righteousness. He's going to deal with that even more a little bit later, but again and again he is comparing and contrasting the first Adam with the last Adam. The man who by whom sin came into this world and brought death and then the man by whom righteousness came into this world and brought life glory to God that's what he's doing him now in this verse he said but I want you to notice something else Adam brought condemnation through one act it was only through one act that condemnation came to the world one offense he says judgment was by one offense to condemnation but justification. <laughs> justification doesn't deal with just one offense. It deals with many offenses. This <laughs> one little deed yeah. and it brought condemnation. Yeah. But with the time it gets to Jesus, he's got more than one little deed to deal with. He's got deed after, deed after deed after deed after deed so that now when he justifies us, he doesn't have to justify us from just committing one act of sin. He's not going to justify and only have to deal. He's got to deal with thousands of years of sin. He's got to deal with hundreds of days, millions of actions, sin upon sin, calamity upon calamity, wicked deed upon wicked deed, wicked heart. Upon on wicked heart oh but I'm telling you that's the glory the capacity of the cross is greater than the capacity of sin sin can abound but grace will abound sin will multiply but the one act of Jesus Christ will deal with the multiplicity of sin hallelujah glory to the Lamb of God Oh, the blood of Jesus has more power than all of the sin of the world. There is a difference. There is a difference. Glory to God. Woo! Yes, there is power. There is power in the blood. Wonder work power in the blood of the Lamb. Woo! There is a difference of character. Again, one is a gift of grace that brings hope. The other was an offense that brought condemnation and despair. Secondly, there's a difference of capacity. Adams, just one sin produced all this. But Christ was able to deal with all of this by one act. You will never reach where the blood cannot go unless you purposely turn away from it and say you don't want it. But if there is in you any sense of repentance and that you'd like to turn it around and that you'd like to turn to God and that you are truly grieved over your actions and that you are truly repentant of your wicked deeds, I don't care how heavy the load is and how many actions, how long your record is. It might stretch from here to the east coast to the west coast, from sea to shining sea. It might wrap around the world several times, but I can tell you the capacity of The blood of Jesus Christ has outranked it. It's overcome it. It can erase it. It can destroy it. The blood will never lose its power. It'll never lose its power. Now he goes on. Watch these next three verses, 17 through 19. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one Now he repeats himself. He's like me, okay? No, I'm like him. I repeat myself. He's doing that. He's already told us one offense death reigned and death come. He drives at home. He keeps driving at home. One offense, death. One offense, condemnation. Amen. But one act of righteousness, salvation. Amen. One offense, many sins. One act covers many sins. He says, Death reigned much more, much more. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness mm-hmm. shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now I'm coming back to the reigning in, in, in more detail, but I'm going to mention something about it here. Let me read these two verses followed and I'll come back to it. Therefore, as by the offense of one, I'm going to leave out the italicized words, all right? Therefore, as by the offense of one, upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. Now this word righteousness here is a word That refers not to a state of being. But it refers to a deed done. So that literally this word should be translated by the righteous act of one. It was by the offensive one or the offensive one. that, That sinful deed of one Adam that brought condemnation. And by the righteous act of one. Came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's. He explains it in verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience. Many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one. Shall many be made righteous. Now let's explain that. Let's look at that. It's very simple. Two things. He's going to emphasize that come. And these are, this is a contrast of consequences. There's first a contrast of character. The nature of the two Resol- that come from the two is different. One is uh, a condemning deed; the other is a free, unmerited gift that brings life and hope. There's a there's a contrast of capacity. It only took one sin to get us out, but he had to cover a multitude of sins to get us back. The blood had to have far more power than the rod of judgment. Mm. Woo! Glory to God. And now he tells us there is a difference or a contrast of consequences. What were the consequences? He's already told us about what seems like 50 times. He's repeated himself like I'm doing this morning, but it's okay. I won't kill you. The consequences of Adam's one deed was one condemnation, and it brought death. To the world. Men got kicked out and death, but death when it came, I'll deal more with this in my next message, but let me just state it here in simplicity. When death came, it didn't become a friend and it didn't become a servant, it mastered. He said, Death reigned. And then he also said, Sin reigned talk about that a little later, that as sin has reigned unto death. The effect of Adam's one act brought sin and death into the world and brought two new masters to man. Adam sinned but he couldn't conquer what he'd done. He couldn't overcome the consequences of what he had done. And now sin, the one act of sin he committed will be followed by a second act and a third act and a fourth act. He'll be a bad example to his sons and they will follow. One will be a righteous man but because he believes God, because he goes and does and offers sacrifice for sins. He toes to the and offers up. Abel will offer up sacrifice for sins. And uh, that will separate him from Cain in that he will be called righteous. But he will still be conscious of the fact that he has sinned. That's why he's offering a sacrifice for sin. That's why he's going to God for atonement. That's why he's offering up lambs. That means he's conscious of sin. But he's going God's way. At least what God has provided at that time. God has provided something temporary and Abel was dealing with that. He's saying I'm going to do that. I'm going to offer my my lambs to God. By faith he offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. And Cain, the Bible said, and it was counted to him that he was righteous. And thereby this man is conscious of sin, but he's also conscious of redemption. And he believes God for that. But it's still looking to another day. But what sin has done is it's mastered men. He talks it about in the place of Cain. Cain uh, angers at your door. It's waiting to master you. It's like a lion ready to pounce upon you. You master it. Guess what? You can overcome. But if you don't, it's going to master you. But the fact is, we've tried for century after century to master sin. And we just haven't been able to do it. It always ends up taking over. It always ends up ruling. We start a good country in America. We got good laws. We got good things in place. It looks hopeful. But today we're being taken over. Because where sin is allowed, it will take the throne. If you let it in the door, it won't be long before it's on the throne. Sin and death is ruling. I don't care how good a life you live. I don't care how many sacrifices you offer. I don't care how much you repent. I don't care how many tears you shed over it. One day we all stand over your body. God rest his soul. Yeah. We can sing today, but there was a day that couldn't sing. That's right. mm hallelujah. Today we can shout and say, I see you in the by and by. Today we can shout and say, hey brother you beat me, but I'll join you in a little while. But you couldn't used to know when they laid him down. The psalmist said, who will praise you in the grave? Who's going to praise you when they go down? The Bible talked about the shadow of death. It was a dark place. It was a place where men didn't understand what really goes on. Death held a grip. It held men under its shadow. It bound them. No man conquered The greatest of kings is there. The lowest of child is there. The greatest of young men is there. The greatest minds are there. Samson, the strongest man is there. Solomon, the wisest man is there. Death overcomes them all. Oh my. But I'm telling you, there's another man that enters into the picture and he doesn't bring bondage. He brings liberty. He doesn't bring death. He brings life. And now it's no longer sin reigning. I reign. I reign in life by Jesus. Jesus Christ. Well, hallelujah. Yeah. Thank God. It's no longer death reigning. It's grace reigning. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! It's no longer the bondage of fear. It is now the bondage to Christ of joy and love. That I am the bond servant of Christ. I am the son of God Almighty. I am not some fearful slave going around wondering and waiting my time to die. I'm waiting a time to joy, to live as Christ, to die as gain, and we are looking to join Him in glory. Turn over there now to First Corinthians fifteen forty-five. I'm, I'm about done. You can hold on. I think it was forty-five. Is that what I read? Yeah. Read it, brother Benny. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, 45. It's all right, brother. Ah, let's get that now. Let's see what that means. The first Adam was made a living soul. All right? Mm -hmm. Let's go back there. Just in our minds for him. You know, follow me back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. In your mind's eye, go there for a moment. And the Bible says that God reaches down and he takes the dust of the earth. That's why his name is Adam, Adam of the earth. Dumb is earth. He's from the earth. Adam from the ground. And he, from that dirt, he fashioned the body. And there it lay. And he fashioned a full man. Yeah. There he lay. Unclothed. Body. Eyes, nose, ears, veins, heart, liver, pancreas, lungs, knees, elbows, toes, Fingers, fingernails, all of that there. Hair on the head. He probably already had a beard, full grown man. Beard on the face. Hair on the head. There he lays. If I can say it to you this way, he was dead. Yeah. He did lay in there. He can't move, can't talk, he can't do anything. If you looked at him, and if you have the knowledge we have now, there wasn't anybody else around to witness this. By the way, okay, Christ was there, but yeah. hey, that's a man. We would say that's a corpse. Yeah, that's a dead man. Okay. So what God's got to do is he's got to bring him to life. Yeah. So the Bible said He breathed into man's nostrils. <laughs> Ooh, glory to God. That same God that spoke the world. He took those lips. And he touched the lips of Adam. Whew. Literally, it was the breath in Hebrew, it's plural, the breath of lives. He brought into Adam, not just physical life that animated the body, but he brought into him as well, a moral and spiritual Life, so that this man has conscience. This man has a sense of communion with God. This man is aware of the fact that though he's the only man, he's not alone in the world. <laughs> oh, Lord. He knows he is created, he knows he has a creator. And the Bible said, and Adam became a living soul. That's what it was written. That's what he said. The first Adam, he was made. The first man Adam was made a living soul. He laid there, if you will, like a corpse. He had done no the wrong. There was no there was no identity. He really hadn't been fully brought into existence. All we have is the body. We don't have spirit and soul. That is not yet to come into existence. So I can say he's like a dead man, but he really doesn't fully exist yet. And so when God now breathes into him, He breathes in His spirit and soul, and that man becomes a living being. He becomes a living creature. Now he walks. He talks. He communicates with God. He understands. He. Thinks He rationales, or he rations, he reasons. All of this is this man, Adam. He has been made a living being, a living soul. Glory to God, it's like a resurrection. There he is. He went from just a body to being a man who can walk and talk and do wonderful things. And you and I have got the life that we have and the form that we have from that Adam. Now, I'm going to tell you, I can... I can only say this because of Jesus. But let me say it. Nonetheless, I'm glad I exist. Would you rather be or not be? Well, tell me. Would you rather exist or not exist? Yeah. I can only say that because of Jesus. There's some folks, hey, you go down and sin, they'd rather not exist. That's why they take their life, because they, there's nothing in life worth living for for them. I can only say it because of Jesus Christ. But I can tell you, I'm glad that I exist. Ooh, glory. I'd rather be here than not. Amen. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not upset that I'm not a cow. Maybe you are. It doesn't bother me God, that I'm not a pig. It doesn't bother me that I'm not an angel. No? I can go watch the deer Now nail their grace. I don't want to be a deer. Nope. Uh, I'm not looking to be an elephant. None of that. Some folks, they wish their life, man, you may not care about this frame that stands before you today, but I'm pretty content with it. I'm pretty happy about it. I have been given an opportunity to know the Creator and enjoy Him. God created me because He didn't, not because He needed me, He created me so that I could enjoy who He is. It'd be terrible. It would really be tragic if there was this wonderful. Being who was good and benevolent, joyful, holy, pure, mighty, and powerful, and there was no creation to enjoy him. There'd be some tragedy to that. Now he could enjoy himself and be content within himself, but he's a good God. Hey, He is going to make creatures and he makes them that they're in their own creation they can be happy and contented and they can enjoy who they are. They can be contented in being who they are. I don't want to be anybody else than who I am today but all of that is because I've been redeemed. I messed it up. It wasn't that way in the beginning. God made a man and I'm telling you folks that he absolutely could be contented with everything that he was. God didn't make you to be discontented. He made you to be contented. We are made in the image of God we should rejoice that God has been so gracious to bring us into existence and let us enjoy his nature but this last Adam what's he dealing with he's dealing with the man that's a living soul he comes and the Bible said he's made a quickening spirit well wait a minute The result of Adam's resurrection. If I can give it to you that way. It wasn't really a resurrection. It was a creation. But there's similarity. A corpse comes to life. But the result of Adam's life is that he becomes a living being. That's what he gives to you and me. We are living creatures just like Adam. But I messed it up. I sinned. And death mastered me. And sin mastered me. Whew. But thank God. 2,000 years ago. Enter on the scene. Another Adam. Last Adam. And when that Adam comes on the scene. You know what? He also lays down to die. Yeah. He lays down to die. But he's going to be made something different. Adam was made a living being from whom I get my natural life. But Christ is going to be made. I messed up that natural life and I died. In Ephesians 2 and verse 1, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. And now Christ is dealing with walking corpses, if you will. I'm separated from God. And Christ comes and he is there. And he dies. But he is raised up. And now what is he going to be made? He's not going to be made a life that is just given within himself. He has already come into existence, if you will. Matter of fact, when he comes into the world, he pre-existed. Adam didn't. Adam came into the world, or was made rather. He didn't come into the world. He was made from the ground. And then God breathed into him. And he came into existence. Christ already existed. He came from heaven. He came and took on a body. Oh, glory. And in that body, he laid it down. He laid it down to die. And God raised it from the dead. But in so doing, what did Christ become? He became a quickening spirit. And now as a quickening spirit, God in Adam breathed in the life and spirit that brought natural life, natural intelligence, natural experience. And at that time for Adam's spiritual experience, but he lost it and we died and turned away. And now what Christ does, he comes to us in the deadness of our sin. He comes to us. I don't at this moment, need a new body. I don't at this moment need a spirit and soul. I already got one. I got that from Adam but I messed him up. Oh, sir, that's not what I need. What I need is for him to take what has been separated from God and breathe new life. I need him to make me a new creature. Glory to God so that old things have been passed away and old things have become new. And now by the power of the Holy Ghost, he breathes new life into this man and raises me out of the deadness of my sin.